I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So recovery for me has been just ongoing and awesome. And I've been doing some things this summer that I just didn't ever think that I would be blessed with the opportunity to do. And I just wanted to share with you guys some of those things. Jay is telling me that I should start videoing the things that I'm doing so that you guys can see what it's like for me, what my process is when I'm going to do something that's uncomfortable or unusual or when I'm going to try a new hobby or something that will enhance my identity. And once we get the camera set up for that, we have to have, I think, some kind of equipment for that. And so we're consulting with uh, someone who's an expert that's actually one of our friends. And, you know, perhaps I will do that. He thinks that it'd be beneficial for you guys to see it. So if you guys agree, let me know somehow. But that's an aside. The reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I'm kind of fascinated by the way that my mind has shifted in the way that I see tasks and activities and hobbies and habits. And I wanted to share that with you all today. One of the things about recovery that I always, you know, I'm just amazed by is who I was and who I am. I was the kind of person who didn't do things that required a lot of effort unless I really wanted to. I mean, when I wanted to get into my doctoral program, I could exert effort so much. I sacrificed an entire summer. I sacrificed actually more than that, my own comfort. It was like I did it for all the wrong reasons, though. I was upset because I was working in this facility for children with autism, and I wanted to impact change because I knew I could. I knew that things could be better and different, but I didn't have a pathway. And I wanted it so badly that I made it happen. And I focused on kind of like this, you know, defiant sort of F you to the system, right? Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to open up this this treatment center for children with autism. And I'm going to do it better. A social justice platform. The problem with that, though, is that whole journey, even the effort within that journey was about my ego, And part of that was development. I was a lot younger at the time, but I think part of it is also just about emotional intensity and willingness and motivation and how feeding my ego became the most important aspect of living. And if my ego wasn't fed, then I really didn't want anything to do with whatever task was in front of me. The things that I found pleasure in were really listening to music playing music and listening to music. Those things I found genuine pleasure in, always. I like to listen to music loud, or play it and rock, and think, and feel. I shouldn't say think, because I wasn't listening to music and thinking. I was feeling. I felt way more often than I thought back then. Thinking was very difficult. That's why it took me so long to study for my GREs because I had to buy into the fact that the GRE math was a formula, was a series of formulas. 
and I had to learn them, and I did. I still have that notebook. Most organized math notebook I've ever had in my life. Not a hyperbole. And I think that there was a kernel of purity in my identity in that, in that path. And that kernel of purity in my identity was that I really do love people. <laughs> I really do want to help people. And I feel like my journey thus far in life has, has shown that. That I have a big heart and I just want to help and if I can do that, it's meaningful, and I have a meaningful life because of it. But my pathway to meaning was quite dysfunctional because it required a lot of ego-driven behaviors. Now I look at my life today, and I understand that there's way more to life than just doing things for what other people will see or to feed my ego. And it's just it just feels so good. So I think everybody out there knows that things in terms of, you know, food prices, gas prices are expensive, right? So what I wanted to do is start a garden. Because I wanted to see if our family could grow food from a garden and I also wanted to help with kind of the expenses that go along with buying fruits and vegetables and things like that. And so I started in the winter and I started looking at what it would take to be a gardener. I had had a garden before. It was pretty small. And I remembered a lot of my history when I started contemplating gardening. And my history includes my grandfather, who was an, Ital an immigrant from Italy, came to the United States, opened a landscaping business. My uncle is also has a successful landscaping business. And I remember sitting on this picnic table under this tree on my grandfather's property and shelling peas. Just sitting there. He didn't speak a lot of English. He didn't talk a lot. But we would eat ice cream. And we would go and look at his tomato plants. And my memories are pretty scarce, but I do remember those things. And I remember that he just, he was outside all the time. Always in the nursery, always. You know, in the, in the garden. It was a pretty big property. So he had to take care of it, so it makes sense. But I started thinking about gardening in a different way, right? So it started out as a, hey, can we save some money on groceries? It would be fun to see if we could um, grow our own food. And then it turned into a passion. So I bought books. I bought a book called The Backyard Homestead. I bought a book called The First Time Gardener, Growing Vegetables. I bought a book like the, like the Self-Sufficiency Handbook to learn all about how to can vegetables if we grew too many, to learn how to grow from seed, to learn what kind of soil, to learn how to compost. And I started reading about it. And I gathered a lot of information. And I wasn't gathering information because I was trying to distract myself or I was trying to, I don't know, become someone I wasn't or any of that. I was gathering information because I started becoming genuinely interested in the process of having a garden. 
So I looked up a local seed company called Michigan Gardener and I ordered some seeds. A lot of seeds, right? So in the midst of all this, I'm still hyperbolic. <laughs> so I ordered a lot of seeds. So the seeds come and I'm all excited and I start planning out how, what supplies I would need to start seeds indoors. And I go and I gather all of my supplies and you know, there's a, a company here called Menards. It's like a Home Depot or a Lowe's. So I went over there and I, I got this little indoor greenhouse and the, this heating pad and the, and the little cells where you put the seeds in and the organic soil, seed starting soil. And I got the lights, the LED lights or the shop lights that you put so that it can be warm for the seeds as they grow. And I started playing music to the seeds so that they would grow and tending to them and checking the temperature and making sure that everything was okay in the greenhouse and taking off the dome once the seeds had emerged and began to grow. And the more into the process I got, the more passion I began to have for the process itself. I really started to wake up wanting to go and check on these little seedlings. And I was kind of talking to them. And, you know, they say that if you touch the, the leaves, leaves as they grow and you, you know, kind of get a fan and blow air onto them, they become stronger. And if any of you have done this before, you know, this is a pretty long and laborious process. And it especially was for me because I chose to grow all kinds of seeds, which required a different, so you have to plan, you have to think big picture when you garden. You have to look at where your gardening site is going to be. You have to look at when the last frost date is going to be in your area. You have to make sure that the seeds can be grown in your growing zone. You have to look at timeline from when they're planted in the house and when they have to be transplanted so that they can, you can have a harvest before the end of the growing season in the fall. So it really requires a lot of big picture thinking, which, you know, is something that I didn't actually think that I could do as well as I've been able to execute doing it. So I learned that I am very capable of big picture thinking. And I learned that because I'm, I, I started to embrace this activity. We chose a huge garden site. And Jay was awesome and his family was really great. They came and they helped us put up a fence because we do have deer and rabbits and all kinds of little critters. So we wanted to make sure that the garden was protected from the critters. And LJ helped because he was able while I was in session to transplant some of the seedlings from their little pods to a bigger, we used red solo cups to a bigger cup and he drilled holes in the bottom of stacks of cups and he put in that new soil and he really helped with that transplanting process. And then from there, I worked on patience because I had to harden off all of those seedlings, which required bringing over a hundred red solo cups and different containers in and outside for an hour a day to two hours a day, et cetera, to get them used to being outside. And I had to do that over a long period of time. And then from there, I had to till the soil. After the soil was tilled, we had to find, I had to find a company who would bring topsoil because we have sandy soil. And they brought the topsoil, which had compost in it. 
And we had to incorporate that again until again into our soil. And then I had to plan the garden. I had to figure out what to plant where, which plants complemented each other, and which plants couldn't be planted next to each other. I had to set alerts for when to plant certain crops. I had to measure every single row so that I could be sure that the plants were far enough away from each other. I had to make sure that I followed the instructions on the seed packets so that way I didn't overcrowd the garden. I ended up planting a lot of plants. It's a fairly big garden. We have tomatoes and and thyme and basil, two different kinds of basil. And we have zinnias and zucchini and marigolds and borage and broccoli and bush beans and oriental long beans and corn and spaghetti squash and acorn squash and butternut squash (laughs) and pumpkins and watermelon and cantaloupe and cucumber and onion and spinach and celery and hot peppers and sweet peppers and the list goes on. So I planted a lot and had to follow the directions on the back of every package. And finally, it's become time to harvest. So we're harvesting cucumbers right now, harvesting chamomile, I forgot to mention that, harvesting basil, harvesting thyme. And gosh, I have to tell you, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing, and I wanted to record this episode because I wanted you to know that activities can be done for the love and the purity and the joy of doing the activity. I'm so happy and proud and just feel so good and connected with the earth, with nature, with spirituality when I'm out in the garden that I wake up and start my day there on most days. No shoes, feet in the ground, in the dirt, looking at the plants, looking at all the vegetables, pulling the weeds, doing the grunt work, watering by hand the base of every plant, making sure that they're fed with organic fertilizer every 7 to 14 days, making sure that there are no animals creeping in, gathering the harvest, and just admiring the beauty of the work. It takes a long time to maintain a garden of that size. And this is my journey. I wanted to do it. So I do ask for help, of course, from my husband, from my son, but this is my hobby. And so when they're doing their activities and their hobbies, I'm doing that. And in the past, I would look at the labor of it and I would be like, oh my gosh, I got to do this again. Are you kidding me? Look at all the work and the time and the energy this takes. So much time. Why would I want to do this? I had to lug all of these soil bags to the garden and put them on this we don't have a um a wheelbarrow which is kind of odd for a gardening venture but we don't so we have one of these hand carts that kind of lays down so I had to put these bags of soil onto the hand cart bring them out to the garden to put some soil and some mulch around the plants and again just a lot of work and I've spent hours six hours seven hours eight hours at a time doing this work 
And in the past, first of all, I would have never done this years ago because I would have said it's too much work. I can't grow plants. I kill plants. And just kind of the blanket statement, I can't do that. That's for other people. I'm not a gardener. I feel so fake doing this. And I would have missed the point entirely because I didn't understand the point of doing things calm and patiently and rationally and really taking time to engage in a labor of love. I didn't understand it because I wasn't willing to in part and because I just didn't. But now I do. And I don't look at any of the work that's done in the garden or that needs to be done in the garden as a chore. I look at it as a part of my day, something I'm excited to get to. I look at weeding as taking care of the plants that I grew from nothing but a seed. I look at fertilizing, which is time-consuming, because you have to spray the base of every plant, and that's a lot of plants. Because, of course, I had to have a hyperbolic garden with backup tomatoes and pots (laughs) on on my deck. Yeah? But... I don't look at it as a chore again. I look at it as a process. And I don't think of it as faking it. This is my first garden. So am I making mistakes? Yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes, guys. This is not a perfect venture. It looks beautiful, but there are mistakes. For example, I measured every row out, but I didn't take into consideration that I'm five foot four. My husband is over six feet. And my son is 5'11", I'd say, roundabout, with size 11 and a half feet. So I didn't take into consideration that I would be the only person to be able to walk in the rows successfully in this garden. <laughs> so that's a mistake, right? Didn't leave enough room between tomato plants and, and herbs because I was so set on, you know, deterring aphids from the garden. So I made mistakes. And... I don't consider myself an expert, but I also don't think that I'm faking it an identity. So this message is for all of you out there who are, one, wondering, what do I do with some of my time? What's Rose been up to? That's a question I get quite frequently. And one of the things I've been up to is gardening. Having a garden and tending to the garden and really learning all about gardening. And another thing that Another reason why I wanted to share this with you is because I wanted to see how many of you out there would benefit from a light bulb moment today. That cooking and cleaning and gardening and working out and cooking healthy foods and hiking, that those activities aren't just a way to distract your mind. That those activities are labors of love. And that if you can slow down and take your time and be intentional and deliberate in the work that you're doing, that you, find, you will find joy in that work. When you're hiking, don't hike to get finished so that you can go home. Hike so that you can see the sights along the way. Research the hike. Find a hike that, would, that you're really excited about. Same thing with cooking. Don't cook to get it done. Challenge yourself to find a recipe that will honor your recovery process in your body. That's a challenging. That's going to push you a little bit past your comfort zone. 
Don't look at the grocery store as a chore. Go to the grocery store when you have time to spend time looking at the products and choosing your items carefully. Start the process of cooking without worrying about the cleanup or the mess. Understand that you will clean it up just like you always do. Understand that you will make mistakes just like you always do. Understand that it might not taste very good the first time, and that's okay. It's not about distracting yourself from living. It's about living, period. Yesterday I was able to spend the day making an Italian meal from scratch. My husband bought me a book called My Calabria, which Calabria is the place that my family is from in Italy. And I was so resistant to my family and anything that had to do with my heritage because me and Italian folks can be pretty emotional and pretty intense, lots of smothering guilt. And I didn't, I missed the point. I missed the point of a lot of things. I missed the point of heritage. Instead of focusing on positivity, I would focus on the trauma, intergenerational trauma. My family in Italy are, they're farmers. Many of them. Or they were. And the book is, has recipes from the time. I don't know if, if any of you have Italian rel- relatives, but they don't necessarily write down recipes. <laughs> so I don't have a lot of recipes for the foods that my grandmother would cook, but this book opened the door to that. And yesterday I woke up and I decided I was going to make raviolis by hand from scratch. <laughs> and it was, it's, it's a, it was just amazing. I started, we, you know, we did... We spent some time together in the morning as a family. It's Sunday. Um, we did our, you know, what we do for our spiritual practice. We then kind of went our separate ways, and Jay went to to take LJ to get some new basketball shoes because he's, you know, grown another half size of shoe, which is phenomenal and also awesome about growth and kids. They grow pretty quickly. And I went to the store, the grocery store, and I gathered all of the items that I needed. And then I went home, unloaded all of the items, and then I began to cook. And I started by making the dough for the bread because I wanted to make fresh Italian bread. Now in the book, you need a starter, and I only have a sourdough starter. So I made a starter, and I made the dough for the bread, and I let that rise. And then I made the pasta dough. As instructed in the book, formulaically, I did not veer from what it said. It said not to measure the flour by cups. And in the past, I would have been like, ah, whatever, one cup of flour. I'll just level it out and not pack it, pack it together or pack it down. But in the book, it specifically says that if you use the weight for the flour, that it'll be more accurate. So I use the weight. I have a little scale and I use the weight for the flour and I did it the right way. I let that rise. Then I made the sauce. I made the meat to put in the sauce like my grandmother used to make. Kept going back to the bread, forming the bread into loaves, letting it rise again, letting the pasta dough sit for 30 minutes to let the gluten settle. And then I took out the mixer again and I got the attachment for to make the dough into a flat sheet. And then I got the ravioli circle and I started cutting out the raviolis. I made the filling. I cooked from 
2.30 p.m. in the afternoon until 8.30, all said and done in the evening. <laughs> and it was amazing. Because it was a labor of love. I was preparing a meal for my family to eat together, to share. And I did it from nothing. I created something from nothing. And I wasn't upset about the cleanup. And I wasn't upset about the work. And I wasn't upset that I was on my feet. And I didn't complain. And when I got tired, because I did, I got tired towards the end, right when I was supposed to actually make the ravioli, because I had done all of these other steps with the sauce and the meats. There was a sweet and spicy sausage in the meat and beef and there was the bread which was in the oven and then the meat filling I made meat and cheese <coughs> raviolis so I got tired I took a break when I got tired I didn't veer from the formula I didn't look at the book and say I know better I didn't get frustrated or angry or take emotions out on anyone I chose to cook I took a break, I had some water, I went outside, I played with the dogs, went back inside, refocused on my mission, and I made two sets of ravioli, boiled the water, and served to my family. Fresh bread, homemade sauce, homemade ravioli, meat and cheese. And it felt so good to be able to do that. Every step of the way I kept thinking about what it was like well, what it must have been like for my ancestors to have only flour, water, and vegetables to work with. And I found joy in that process. Whereas the old me would have looked at everything as a chore, we would have done mac and cheese in that microwave and we would have had something sugary for dessert. I remember as a young mom, I would go and get froyo. That would be like a meal. That's not okay. <laughs> not okay. Not proud of that. I am not proud of that choice. That is not good parenting. Because my job as a parent is to nurture my child. And nurturing means making sure that he has all the nutrients that he needs. Making sure that he has enough skills to be able to go out in the world and to be an autonomous, independent adult one day. Not coddling him, not giving into every need or every whim, not feeding him sugar for dinner or any of those things. And so I wanted to share that. That's a little bit of my own recovery story. that I have learned to take an activity or a task and to treasure every moment of that task for the joy of the task itself. Because yes, it is a labor of love. Not to complain, not to attack others, not to look at how overwhelming it is, not to look at how it could fail, not to look at all the mistakes I could make and fail before I try, because that was my MO. I was so great at that. I was so great at failing before I would try. I was so great at telling people why I wasn't going to be able to do something, why people would leave me, why everything stunk. I was good at that. But I didn't want to be good at that anymore. I'd already done that. Been there, done that. Good at complaining. Been there, done that. Good at negativity. 
I want to be someone and continue to strive to be the best version of myself. But I want to be someone who has something to bring to the table, who finds life enjoyable. My favorite quote is that life is for living. So if you're on your recovery journey and you don't understand why you should do hard things, what's the point of creating an identity when you're just faking it? This is the point. Because you are alive. And while everyone else is out there living, I don't want you to think that all there is for you is to sit in your house and be emotional and to read your DBT journals and workbooks or whatever workbook you're using. That's a part of it, a very small part of it. A much, much, much bigger part of recovery is finding something that you've always wanted to do that seems overwhelming and to settle in and surrender to doing it and to find joy in every step of the way, including the mistakes. How do you do that? Acceptance. Last week, I talked about the three A's, awareness, acceptance, action. Be aware of what your task is, gardening. I bought books, three of them. I read about it. I got all of the information, all of my options. I chose a site for my garden. I chose what I wanted to grow. I gathered information about how to start from seed. I gathered information about how to till the soil, awareness, acceptance. I accepted that I would make mistakes. I accepted that things might not work out, that we might have pest problems, that we might have our animals in the, in the acreage or the, proper, the property that we were on come to take the vegetables. I accepted that it was going to be a lot of work, and I took action. I started out on the steps. It's not over because we still have a lot of crops that have to be harvested, and then they'll have to be canned, and that's a whole other thing. But I'm aware of it. And I'm going to find information as it needs to be found. And I accept that this is the task and I embrace it. And I'm going to take the action steps to get to where I need to be. I want you to do the same. Is it taking a class in the community? Is it going back to school? Are you a college student who hasn't done so well and it's summer and you got to go back in the fall and you're dreading it? Do you have awareness? Have you accepted that this is going to be difficult for you? Have you taken action steps? Have you gathered all of the information about supports that your college could offer or that your school or certificate program could offer? Do you have a tutor? Do you need a tutor? If the answer to the fact that you need supports and a tutor is yes and yes, have you found a way to get them? Have you called the school? Have you called tutors? Are you willing to swallow your pride and to go and ask for help? Can you accept the fact that you haven't been able to do it well on your own and that you need help? Can you accept that you'll have limitations that you have to push past? And what action steps have you taken? Make the call. One step at a time. Embrace the process of going to school because it's the learning that equates to living, not the pain of learning. Because then you miss the point just like I did. Is it a class that you want to take? Is it rock climbing? Is it something like basket weaving? I don't know. What is it? What do you have you always wanted to try but continue not to try? Because it's too much work. 
Is it a parenting plan? That's something that, you know, a lot of people will, will have been recently coming to me about is like creating a, a, a restructuring their parenting plan. Awareness, acceptance, action, right? Awareness, acceptance, action. So what parenting plans have you researched? Did you find all of the information? Are you going to, have you accepted the fact that it's going to be difficult because it's a new program and these are little kids you're talking about? So you have to not only know the program inside and out, but you have to implement it consistently to get consistent results. Do you have a a step-by-step plan on how you're going to implement it? Is your partner on the same page so that you're not the, you know, bad guy or you're not the only one with that information? Is your family on the same page? If the answer to all of those is yes, have you taken action? And if not, why not? Right? So life is for living. And when you can start to embrace and accept the fact that not every task is just a distraction from emotional pain and that willpower isn't always going to get you to the place that you need to be, that it's choosing joy and it's surrendering to just living, to doing things because for the sake of doing them, not avoiding things because they're too hard. You may find some peace on your recovery journey. It will take time and practice and effort and energy. Yes, I was not always this way. But you can do that if you start to rewire and the way that your brain perceives these activities. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. See you next week. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD. was From Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday.